right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome back. Welcome back. And and the the uh, listeners can't hear, but today episode sixty six is Black Hoodie Day. Oh, it is. That's right. Uh, That's right. We're representing whatever that representing yeah, is. Well, we while we didn't plan for the show, we did plan for our attire. We texted each other. I'm wearing a black hoodie. You got to wear black hoodie. Let's right. Wear black hoodie. This is the thing about besties is they sometimes just show up wearing the same clothes. Damn straight. That's how it rolls. <laughs> Oh, I just cursed. Did we have to? Do we have to put an explicit yep, thing on that? Guess, yeah, we're gonna have to take ah, this one down. Oh, well. ah, darn. That's yeah, we did. Horrible. I think we've cursed before, and I'm fairly sure we've never put an explicit tag on this. But maybe we've never cursed before. Is that possible? I I, I find that hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, this is Ollie. Oh, and this is Scott. And this is science in between. Yeah, and we may or may not curse on this show, so be warned. Because um, whether it has an explicit tag or not, sometimes. It just, happens. It just happens. Because we get all like in a mm-hmm. lather and we just feel like, although that wasn't really a lather at all. No. That just was like casual conversation. <sighs> Ollie dropping a curse word. Yeah. I don't know. Lather. Being in a lather. That makes me a little uncomfortable somehow. But okay. <clears throat> Let's just carry on. Uh, I don't, I don't want to unpack that metaphor. I just want to move. All right. Move Let's into see. the the guts of the show, the real meat of what we're here to talk about. Why everyone listens. They listen. Why to everyone listens. Yes. For the, for the quality content. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to get right to that. So this week we decided we might talk about knowing and different ways of thinking about knowing, especially in terms of learning and learning yeah. theory. So to, so to sort of take a step back, we've done some episodes um, where this has come up maybe indirectly. Um, well, not maybe. Lots of times it's come up indirectly. Um, when we did that series on sort of um, uh, key papers historically yeah. in terms of learning theory, certainly a lot of this came up. But I think we want to take a step back and and talk about sort of this why, why is it we're so caught up in this idea of like, what does it mean to know something, especially in the context of science, but knowing in general, and then what, what the relationship between that and learning is and why we care so much, why, it's, why we believe it to be such a fundamental and important question. So I think that's what we're going to try and talk about today. I try to unpack that a little bit. And I, I, I'll, I'll say that, you know, one of the things that this came up in my house recently, um, it did because uh, my my son was uh, he was actually doing science. He was doing a biology. He was working on uh, a biology packet. Uh, I was going to say, was he doing science or was he doing school science? He was doing school science. He was doing a packet in which he had to write. Uh, he had to read like a chapter in his biology text and then had to answer questions. Mm. And I said to him, I go, OK, so why is this? It's, it took him a long time. And I said, well, why? I said, why is it taking you so long? And he's like, it's really hard to find the answers. <laughs> and I go, tell me more about that. Tell me more about the finding the answers piece. He goes, so I read the question and then I scan the chapter looking for mm, where the answer is. Yeah. And I go, have you thought about maybe doing reversing that, like reading the chapter and then maybe answering the questions? Now, I will say to my 15 year old son, I am an idiot. Yeah. I am, I'm like the like about everything. True, not just of, a, true of every parent and every teenager, I think. Yeah, least. not just about this, but about everything. Yeah. Like I don't know anything about anything, no. and he thought that that was the strangest idea in the world. Like yeah. because to him, learning meant 
putting the answer in the space, yeah. finding the answer and putting it in the space. Right. It's like it's like they have imagined themselves into being a very inefficient Google. Right. right. So they've got this question and they're scanning the text to find the answer um, so that they can they can spit it back out again. Yeah. And, and I think that's that's kind of like cycling back to this is what we were talking a little bit about the the uh, before the show was the, the classic Traxeline, right? Yeah. Montillation uh, of Traxeline. Right. And if you're like sitting out there going, what the heck is Scott talking about? I mean, this is a pretty classic, you know, uh, knowing versus not knowing, right? Being right. able to answer the question without really knowing anything. Yeah. And that's, you know, we're kind of, not kind of, we are creating like parrots, puppets, right? Where People can answer right. a question. They can respond um, without really knowing much of anything. And so do you want to take a stab at like reading the question to somebody? Do you have that like handy? Um, yeah, I can, I can pull that up and, uh, and we can talk about, I mean, I think the key thing about montillation of Traxlene, which we'll explain in a second here, is, um, is that it gives you a sense of, because what well let's let's read it and then and then I'll, I'll talk about it briefly about why why we um, so I may mispronounce some of these key terms so you'll just have yeah. to you'll just have to work with me on that so so we're gonna I'm gonna read a little text and then there's a short quiz um, so so Ali I'm gonna see how you do on the quiz okay so it's very important that you learn about Traxeline Traxeline is a new form of Zionter it is montillated in Cristania. The Cristanians crystallate large amounts of fevron and then bracter it to quasal traxeline. Traxeline may well be one of our most leucized sneezlas in the future because of our zyanter lysages. Okay. All right. So what is traxeline, Ollie? Could you it's it's a new form of zyanter. Yes, very excellent. Yes. Uh, where where is traxeline montillated? Uh it is montillated in Caristana. Yes, I think you mispronounced that, but other but but that's part of the course for you. You often often I'm, mispronounce uh, things. <laughs> yeah, muddle a lot of words, even like common ones. This is like a total made up one. Yeah, it's a total made up one. <laughs> but 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 since I said it first, my my pronunciation as the teacher must be the correct one. So yours is incorrect, but you spelled it right, so you get full credit. Um, how is Traxlene quasled? Uh, it, the, uh, hold on. Um, oh gosh. Uh, you're scanning the text. I the am answer. scanning the text. Yes, you're I am. doing what your son does. I am doing it. Exactly. The Sarastinians gerastillates large amounts of Fevon and then Bracterate to uh, quassal Traxlene. Yes. And why is it important? Um, cause it's new form of Zyanter. It may be oh, well, one of the incorrect. most Lukeized Sneslaws in the yeah. future because of our Zyanter Luskalege. Yes, exactly. Now that is the correct answer. So I'm going to give you partial credit for number Thank four. You. So you got a, a, a solid B plus on the, on that example. Ooh, yes. So, so I'll you all, it. yeah, of course you will because well, you, you slept through class. And I just invested five minutes on on yeah. that. Yeah, you did. So, um, so I think obviously the point here is that um, 
is that this is silly, but if you took all those words and replaced them with things like cell walls and photosynthesis and, you know, whatever other terms you want, you could do exactly the same thing. And in fact, that's exactly what Ali's son is doing, right? Is he's not really... I think it's not just in in science. It's in lots of no, no, absolutely. It's not just in science. It's it's uh, it's everywhere. But science, ha- I mean, you see it more. I would say in social studies and science than you do in English and math because just the disciplinary differences are are sure. such that you don't see it as much. But where both social studies and science have a sort of fact-based focus to them or can have a fact-based focus to them. They can both be seen as bodies of knowledge rather than processes. Math, yeah, you have some of that, but it's not the same. There's not as many definitions. Maybe geometry has a bit of this. I'll Um, go, I'll I'll say this, that it looks different in other fields, but there's a, there's a content specific variation of this. Right. That's fair. Because if you look in math, there are like in, in physics, like I, w- I was thinking, oh, I never did this in physics, but I did th- something very similar to this in that here's a process right. for and here I memorized the process and you could go through the process without really having any understanding of what you were really doing. Right. You're just cranking widgets, cranking widgets. And that's yeah. what this is, yeah. you know. So there's really a difference between um, how we're demonstrating knowing right and actual knowing. Yeah. Well, and and uh, we were talking about this, but but the way I differentiate it. So I talked with my um, my science methods class about this idea, um, and and used modulation of Traxlene as one of the things that we talked about. But but I asked them to just write down in their own words how they would differentiate memorization from understanding, and that just opened up a conversation um, about how they think about what it means to know, right? Because you know they they had you know, everybody has a sort of gut level notion about how those things are different, um, but really saying, okay, well, what does it mean to memorize something? And then starting to think about the fact that basically our schools are organized around the idea that memorization equals learning, uh, as opposed to understanding equals learning. Now, we pay a lot of lip service to understanding, um, and we pay a lot of lip, lip service to process, right? And we've talked about this too, and you just did in the context of like how we think about process, we tend to think about process as the memorization of procedures, right? Rather than a, a sort of nuanced understanding of cultural practice that you've engaged in. So those are those are very different things. Like my ability to solve projectile motion problems by rote is considered to be learning in most physics classes. Um, but that doesn't mean people actually understand the purpose of any of that or when or how you would use that as a, as a tool to solve an actual problem. It's just, you know, it's like, we're going to teach you how to drive a screw and you're just going to drive screws into a board over and over and over again. It's like, well, okay, this is a big screw. This is a small screw. This is a Phillips head screw. This is a flathead screw. Like we're just going to, you know, drive screws into boards and then that's going to teach you how to build a house. So, so where, where do you think, where do you think this comes from? Like, where do you think like it originates that we have this, uh, I don't know, this, this deference in our society for memorization? Like, I mean, cause we have people who, I mean, we have trivial, 
like trivial pursuit like somebody who can go sure. on like jeopardy and like or right. somebody can go on like win at trivial pursuit like like i you know i have a brother-in-law who's just like he's a savant when it comes to like you know sports facts and figures i mean he right. just like he can tell you where somebody you know went to college and what their you know batting average was and what every team he's been you know, with, and it's just sure. like crazy. And I have another friend who has the same sort of thing with like name an album and he'll tell you who produced it, who all the people were on it. And it's just right. like, we're like, Ooh, they're, they're like really smart, you know? Um, and somehow we value that in our society as, as information equals intellect, right? That if you know a lot of information and I use no purposefully there, yep. um, that it's, if you know that stuff, that somehow you're really, really smart. Right. Yeah. And they, and, and I, th I don't think you have to use quotes around it because they do know those things. I think the point is what is the difference between knowing those things and knowing things that are useful and productive and can help you do work, right? Like your friend who can name all the, you know, all the members of Moody Blues and uh, uh, and over their historical arc, you know, oh, well, the, the one bass player left in, you know, 62 and then this guy came along and it's like, okay, that other than being able to answer the question of Trivia Night, that all that sort of inner knowledge, that sort of disconnected knowledge about stuff doesn't do them much good and can't actually help them think in productive ways. Um, it, it gets them, you know, thought of as smart or savants in terms of trivia night. But, um, but I think there's a fundamental difference between sort of a, a list of facts and, and the, what we think of as understanding, which usually is conceptual, which is to say, and this is one of the things my students started to unpack was, well, what we mean is that like people can think about those things and apply them to new circumstances, or they can understand the relationships or they have relationships between ideas. It's not just independent ideas that are sort of floating around and, and, um, memorized. Right. So, um, but I, but I think in terms of, you know, I, I was in a meeting yesterday and, and one of my colleagues, you know, we were talking about a, a new program and, uh, they said, well, the thing we need to, to remember or to know, I forget exactly the context is like, if you want to know the history of education in this country, what you have to know is that Thorndike won and Dewey lost. And so I think fundamentally, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I think fundamentally there's truth in that, in that what happened for those of you who don't know, Edward Thorndike is, is the father of educational psychology and um, psychology and, and drove a lot of the thinking both indirectly and directly in, into how we think about schooling. Like he produced a lot of graduate students that went off and started colleges of education all across the country who then had graduate students and so on and so forth. Um, and John Dewey was a philosopher and that didn't happen with his work. Um, so the fact that, that Thorndike is the founder essentially of our conceptions of schools and schooling tells us a lot about what, what then is going to be the idea about what knowledge is. Um, so, so I think the short answer is if you want an answer for why our schools are the way they are, and it's definitely not an as simple as this, but the simple answer is Thorndike won and Dewey lost. Yeah, that's really that's really insightful. Yeah, because because you know I I can th think about from per personally like the things I've read 
with you know John Dewey, and we had a whole episode on John Dewey, right? Yeah. And 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 we have not dedicated any time or energy to Thorndike at all. No. And but I think that's also part of our own dispositions and our own, you know, is epistemological beliefs, right? You know, sure. I think because it comes back to you know how do we see understanding and knowing and learning. And that's fundamentally different than how Thorndike approaches things, you know? Yeah. And I think it's also because I don't think you and I need to spend a lot of time explaining the status quo to people. I mean, right. I think everybody sort right. of knows the deal, right? Like it. nobody's confused about how schools work. Um, and people, in fairness, as much as it is the status quo, people do also complain about it all the time. I mean, lots of, you know, one of the biggest beefs employers have about our public school system is that s- students graduate without the ability to actually engage Think. in the work that they're being asked to engage in, right? Because because <laughs> yeah. we spent, you know, 13 years making them memorize stuff and then they get out and they're like, okay, go do this project. I'll see you in a week. And they're like, wait, what? Like, where's right. the text? Like, I need to scan the text for answers and there's no right. text. How do I do it? And if, so, you're a t- if you're a teacher out there and you have a student who goes, well, how long does this have to be? Or, you know, um, they all want that because they- Is it going to be on the test? Right. Right. Is it going to be on the test? That is, you know, like, and we talked a lo- about this a few episodes ago, uh, a, ago where I had a, a, a student in one of my classes going, like, why do we know, need to know this? Like knowing has to be just for something that is like immediate and it's got to be on the test and, it, or it's got to be something that's going to be asked in an interview. It just can't be, Hey, this is something that's like aspirational or something that, you know, is a body of knowledge that I want you to put into your conceptual, you know, understanding of education and, you know, make the connections, make some connections mm-hmm. with this. And no, it's got to have some sort of reproducible outcome in which that they answer it in a hundred words or less. And I have to tell them the parameters in which that happens. Right. Yeah. And I think it, you know, this, we talk a lot about how much we value kids ideas and how we ask kids to talk in science classes. And I think one of the things that we rarely mention about that is one of the reasons for that is that it's very different to hear ideas from other kids in your class versus from the teacher. Because when the idea comes from the teacher, it, it has authority and that has, that's a mixed blessing. So the, the strength of that is like, okay, the teacher has said this, I probably need to remember it. But the second half of that sentence is I probably only have to remember it for a little while because there'll be a test and then I don't have to worry about it anymore. And this person is never going to ask me about it again. But when you're talking with your peers and you're talking about ideas that you have, like that's a very different sense. Like I, if Ali says something to me and we're in science class together and we're talking about trying to figure out how you know, the tanker implodes, like I'm thinking with Ali and we're both having ideas and sharing them. And those things have a lot more meaning. And I'm not deciding like, oh, Ali said that, therefore it must be important. So I have to memorize it for tomorrow, but I, then I can forget it. I'm thinking about Ali's idea. I'm saying, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if I, no, I don't agree with that. I think that's totally wrong. And here's why. But that's a very different way to think about how to work with knowledge than this idea of like, I have to make a determination about whether I believe this authority or not. Um, And then, yeah, go ahead. Well, it's it's interesting because I think one of the things that you and I value about doing the show is that we come together, we talk about our ideas. We are constantly making new connections as you and I are talking about things. And like there are times when I, I, I leave the show and I'll go 
blog about it or I'll rehash a conversation with somebody else because I'm still working through things. Now, one of the things that happened to me, I guess it was yesterday, it was yesterday, was a colleague and I met with uh, a person. We we had given a presentation at a conference and the person wanted to follow up with us. Um, And she's like, hey, could you just meet up with us and, and chat? So we met in Zoom. And in that conversation, they were asking us questions and we were actually making new connections, my colleague and I, about the, the work that we were doing. And we, we left and we're like texting each other. You know, I hadn't really thought about it from that perspective. That was a really good question that person asked. And, you know, we really need to think about our work from that perspective. And it was completely something that was, you know, newfound territory that came from our discussion and these are things that like are steeped in the work we do weekly and daily it's just that we hadn't really thought of it from that perspective so we had we're able to make new conceptual understandings of it through talking and through asking questions and 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 we're like and and there's no test there's no you know we're we're just doing it because we're we we value the work and the people the person we were working with was asking good questions yeah and you're curious and you're trying to understand and you're, and they're trying to understand and, and you're working together to try and understand this thing. Right. And it's not just, oh, I'm going to memorize what this other person told me right. and then tell it back to them. Um, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's interesting how, how profoundly that shapes the way schools operate. Like it really is amazing because when we talk about covering, right, which is a classic in teaching, like, oh, I've got to cover this stuff. I've got to cover this stuff. Well, what you're saying, not imp- not implicitly, but explicitly, is I need my kids to be told this information so they can memorize it and, get, and return it to me um, so that I can move on to new information because I'll have, I'll have seen that they can memorize these things and regurgitate them to me. Because it's, it's, like, assess- it's accessible content. It is content no. that somebody has said is important, is an important part of this. And it's like, hey, I covered that in class. Right. You know? and, and to cover means to at one time point, I told it to them, they memorized it and told it back to me. Now, the thing we also know about that is, well, you know, two weeks, a month later, probably most of that stuff is gone because it doesn't mean anything. It's just yeah. like, a, it's like the montillation of Traxlene. Right. Like it, you, you can memorize it, you can regurgitate it. But a month later, if I ask you, what is Traxling? I mean, you might be able to say it's a new form of Zionter, but I would say, well, what does that mean? You're like, I don't know. It's a new form of Zionter. Like if that's what it means, it is, that's what it is. So, um, like the, the struggle to, um, you know, Mark Winchell has this, has this, um, idea about different different dilemmas that teachers struggle with. And one of the core dilemmas is the conceptual dilemma. And that's what this one really is, which is like conceptualizing learning in an entirely different way. And until you can grapple with that, many of the other things like the pedagogies we've been talking about make less sense because this is where you get the, the objection of like, oh, that's really inefficient, right? Like I don't have time for all this right. chat with my kids just chatting about stuff. I have to get through this material. I have to get through. And nobody really, I don't think, steps back and says, well, what do you really mean when you say cover or get through? Or like, what does that mean for you long-term? And sometimes they'll say, okay, yeah, I get it, that that's memorization and that kids aren't going to remember it. But that doesn't matter because I still have to cover it. it. It's like it's like the definition of insanity to me. I don't understand that. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like 
the 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 two all roads lead to either time right mm. like when we when we talk about these with teachers it's like i don't have enough time or i've got to prepare somebody for the next thing the whatever next, next thing, thing. Yeah. you know middle school i gotta we gotta put it because like middle school is is hard work so mm. if we're in elementary school we've got to make sure that when they get to middle school because middle school is like it's it, they're gonna, they're gonna really, have homework they're gonna have homework in middle school and they're really gonna test you in middle school or or in middle school it's like high school in high school there's no jokes High school stuff, you know, they are like, it, it matters. It matters in high school. High school's not fun. It's not yeah. about fun. And then when in high school, I got to prepare you for college because in college science, you've got to be able to do this or college math. You got to be able to do this. Mm-hmm. And so there's always that like next thing. And it's never like about the learning right now. And that's the concern. It's like, okay, it can just be, you know, about the now it could be like how do we help students understand the world they live in right now well and the irony is that it it's it it does damage to both in the end right it's like okay so i'm gonna i'm a i'm a 10th grade biology teacher i'm gonna teach kids biology okay so they're gonna learn up all this biology then they're gonna go off to college well college is three to four years off for a ninth grader so by the time they're in freshman biology in college, it's been four years since they took biology. How much biology do they remember? Not much, Not much because I have lots of friends who are faculty here in biology and that's one of their beefs. They're like, kids get here and they don't know any biology. They can't remember it. It's like, well, of course they can't remember it because the way that we teach it isn't about understanding and remembering long-term. It's about memorizing and remembering short-term. And so even the idea that like this is preparing them for some future step by giving them all this covering all this content like that that doesn't hold water right like this idea like what what do you like the closest thing i can hear to uh to an argument which also is insane for other reasons is like we have a shared assessment we have like all of us all the chemistry teachers have a midterm and a final and we all take the same one and so i got to make sure my kids do well on that compared to the other chemistry teachers otherwise i'm going to get dinged for it right so you know, lots of things come to mind when I think about that, but not least of which is, well, who decided to have a midterm? My guess is it was all the chemistry teachers, right? It's a, nobody, nobody came to them and said they had to have a shared midterm. They decided they wanted to share midterm because they want to have consistency across the classes, which, you know, again, really, is that the goal? Like, is it, it's so industrial to think about classrooms as like everyone should be doing exactly the same thing. Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a challenge I I've always had had trouble with, you know, when I was teaching, I was like, well, what, why do, why are we doing this? Like, it's just a, it's well, it's I mean, it really is the industrial, you know, perspective on education is that like we're making sure that there's some quality control to the widgets we're producing, yeah, and 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 that's you know not how I I I see things, yeah. No, and and but I, we I mean, shouldn't. We shouldn't see human beings that way. Yeah, I feel like we're you know spending a lot of time harumphing today. Are we? Yeah. Well, I think I think fundamentally that's what this episode is about. In the sense that, um, like, I think we're talking, or maybe this is just my imagination about what we're talking about. But I think we're talking about um, the differences in the way that we conceive knowing and the consequences for for school systems and for children and for, frankly, for teachers, right? Um, Because I do think long-term, 
this approach to teaching isn't good for teachers either. Like it, it's exhausting to constantly feel like you have to cover material and to cover it in a way that I think on some level you have to recognize, even if it's way back in your lizard brain, that this is not this is not actually um, <laughs> helping kids understand stuff. It's just not. And and sometimes, you know, you hear teachers who, who say, oh, yeah, my kids come back and tell me how well prepared they were for college. And, you know, I think I it's not that I don't believe them. I absolutely believe them. Um, but well, but then, well, it's it's just. That what it does, and I would always hear that from students in, in physics. Sure. You know, because I would, you know, I taught, I taught, you know, honors physics, AP physics. I, it would, what it would do is say, all it would do is just, um, make me feel like the things that I'm doing was working because it was preparing them for the next round of the same stuff. Right. Right. And so it was reinforcing this, the stuff, right. It was reinforcing the, you know, regurgitation, the, you know, wrote, wrote processes of problem solving right. because you if they gave could, them the skill set they needed to. Right. Well, I mean, and, and, you know, so I taught AP and it was almost a, 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 a I would say, I don't want to say it's a joke. It was, um, I had analyzed all of the AP tests that had happened for the t- previous 20 years. Right. And I said, you know, there's a, like uh, a 25% chance you're going to get this problem on it. So you have to make sure that you know this problem because yeah. this is good. You're, you're like, it's a one in four chance that you're going to get this. Here's another problem. This is the next. So I, and I would also prepare them for, okay, here's a problem you've never seen. It involves language that you've never seen. Can you figure this out just based on with context? Yes. Like the modulation of tracks, yeah. right? Yeah. Cause, cause that's what ha- that's what happens on the AP test. Mm-hmm. And so my students would get fours and fives, which again reinforces, you know, sure. because I would be, you know, celebrated as somebody who would pre- was preparing my kids for the test, you right. know, and they were being successful and they were getting college credits. And so the whole system is built upon not a form of understanding. It's a form of regurgitation. And, 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 and then feel- you also... It Go felt ahead. great. It felt great yeah, to me because my yeah. kids are like, you know, Shadrayon, you're awesome. My kids, you know, yeah. all the kids got fours and fives and I'm just like, yeah, I just totally gamed this. Yeah. It's, I gamed it. Right. And then, and then, the, you know, the other question I have for folks is like, well, who are the kids that are coming back and saying this to you? Like, it's not the, it's not the 75 or 80% of the kids that aren't in the honors class who didn't get A's in your AP or fours and fives on the AP exam that were in your class. Like those kids are not coming back and saying, Hey, uh, Mr. Dreon or Hey, Mr. McDonald, you did a fantastic job teaching me physics. Like they they sit around, you know, the campfire with their friends and say, God, physics was awful. That was the right. worst class I ever had to take in my whole life. And I hate physics as a result. Right. So this idea that like the self-selecting group of kids who come back to congratulate you for your awesomeness is how you should decide whether you're a good teacher or not. Holy cow. They're saying something very different about Mr. Dran and Mr. McDonald. They're yeah, saying they something are. very different. They've got the voodoo doll and their <laughs> yeah. pins and their, yeah, teaching. My physics teacher was the worst. He was the yeah. worst. He was yeah. such, such a, I can't say it because then we'd yeah. be cursing and we have to have the explicit tag. I can't do We'd that. have the explicit tag. Yeah. Harumpe. So, yeah, I think, I, I think the point of all this really is, you know, 
besides the harumphing and letting us get the harumphing out is, you know, thinking about what the consequences of some of this are. Because, you know, one of the things, for example, that we spend a lot of time, I think, talking about is like we want kids to feel safe and feel like they can fail and feel like they can put their ideas out there, even if they're going to be wrong. Like these are things not just that we want as science educators, but this is what, um, you know, people want out in the world. Like, again, employers, other people say like, I don't want people to be so risk averse that they can't share their ideas because that's how, how work gets done is people, you know, putting lots of ideas out and, and working through the, to the best ones. So this idea of like, doubt, perplexity, struggle, failure, those are bad things. Well, that's that's the that's foundational to memorization because there's only one right answer. There's lots of wrong answers, but there's only one right answer. And right. so when you frame schooling around the idea that there's only one right answer, like the consequences of that are are profound and they're they're the basic consequences for all kids and then there's the equity con- consequences and this goes back to front of the show Brian Brown's work, right? Is because the way that those right answers are framed are not usually there. They have a certain cultural bias to them, right? Sure. Because that's the way science is. Science was developed by those folks, by white folks, right? By white men. And so we can say that doesn't matter, but the, the truth of it is that one right answer gets framed in those terms. And therefore every other answer that isn't that answer, especially if it's it's slightly different if it's framed in a slightly different language or context, then that's absolutely wrong. And so what are we telling kids then? What is this idea of like, okay, well, there's not only is there one right answer, but it's an answer that doesn't have anything to do with your cultural background or experience. And therefore, you know, again, you could memorize this thing, but how's that ever really going to be meaningful to you? Ever, I, I can't imagine I, I have, told this story before but i'm i'm uh, if i did i apologize when i was in ninth grade biology so this is going back to like maybe 1984 um i had a biology teacher it was a test a test i was um and it was the what is the first liquid it, that uh breaks down food in the digestive system okay so what mm-hmm. and the answer just, is uh, saliva saliva right good yeah and, thank you and i answered spit Oh, did you now? I did. I did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And, you and were what, so close. Oh. I I was so close because <laughs> I got the answer incorrect. Of course you did. And, you know, what what is that? Like the 14-year-old Ollie was so angry. Just absolutely <laughs> livid. Like I was uh, livid. I was so angry. I mean, clearly, because I still remember it to this yeah, day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think that you know, that's, that's, that's an appropriate answer, right? I mean, is totally. it? Well, my biology teacher did not think so. And I, 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 I was going to say her name, but I'm yeah, not going to say her. Yeah. Let's not throw, let's not throw her under the bus. Yes. But she, yes, she was, um, yes, we'll just leave it there. Yeah. But I will, I mean, that's a perfect example of like, you know, and maybe that's one of the reasons why I don't like biology is because at that moment I was like, if I don't know the terminology, then I can't be successful here. And I refuse to like, you know, saliva spit, same thing. But that's yeah. imagine that is, you know, that's an example of what some kids face all the time. Right. Right. Well, and that and in fairness, your example is really close in terms of 
not just the the concept, but the language. I mean, the concept's right on. The language is so it's not even an idea that is like a hybrid idea that sort of has some components of your experience and some components of of like normative science understanding, which is often what we're talking about with with kids' ideas, where they're developing and they're they're you know their 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 own ideas framed in their own way. And and there's aspects of that in yours, but I mean. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about a really trivial difference here and then that being right. wrong. And again, this idea that there's only one right answer, right? Right. Like the only right answer is saliva and it has to be spelled right. Yes. And and if both of those things are true, then you get the answer right. And it's like, well, is that really how science works? Is that how we want to think about science? Is like not only are there right answers, but the right answers have to be framed in a very specific way. And if you spell them wrong, you're wrong. Like, no, no. Well, the interesting, interesting thing is that I can make a case that my answer spit is probably better, right? Is because what I've done is I've taken the science language and brought it in and conceptualized it from my own perspective and brought it into my own world. So I made, not only do I know the answer, like the montillation of Traxeline, uh, it's yep. that I've taken all of the important concepts and like brought them into my worldview and my perspective and made it like, so not only do I understand that it's saliva, that I understand it from my own perspective and my own worldview. Right. And, and that is better only if you think about learning as understanding and not memorization. Right. Yes. I mean, I think that's a perfect that's the uh, point of punctuation the mark on, on the, the show. P- right. Is that's it. Right. Is it, it the teacher would say exactly the opposite. Is right. that the problem with your answer is that it's it's grounded in your authentic language as opposed to the science language that is correct. And so the interpretation of that from the two points of view, from the traditional memorization school science interpretation of that is your answer is wrong because you didn't use the technical science term and therefore you don't understand what how this how the body works and how how the what role the liquid in your mouth plays in the digestive system. Whereas you would say, absolutely, I understand it. I understand it well enough that I can use the non-normative science word to explain the thing because I actually know what it's talking about. I know what saliva means. It's not like Traxeline where it's just a thing I memorized. Yeah, it's it's something that is a new form of Zionter. Wait, are we talking about spit now or Traxeline? Traxeline. Oh, it's all about the montillation of tracks. <clears throat> yeah. Can you montillate spit? I don't think so. Because that spit isn't a form of, of Zyanter. <laughs> what about saliva? Is that a form of Zyanter? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Could be. Could be. Uh, that's so funny. Who knew that we would spend an entire episode talking about the montillation of tracks? I mean, we did, I guess. But yeah, I guess we did. Only after. Yeah. There you go. Um, yeah. All right. So I think that's a good place for us to move into Joy's. Put the exclamation point on the episode and go into, yeah. into to the things that bring us joy. So, what what do you got this week? What do you what are you joyful about? Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it's joyful. I would say, well, I mean, it brought me joy as I was like navigating it, but it, it's just because I'm curious. Um, so, uh, I, I got in like one of those mass emails a few days ago, uh, advertising. Uh, something from the ARA, the American Educational Research Association, um, about uh, schooling during the pandemic. So they're doing this big mm-hmm. presentation coming up in a few weeks. And so I was like, oh, so if they're they uh, you know, doing this webinar around this, they probably have some reports out there already. 
And the OECD uh, published a, a, a pretty exhaustive study on the first wave of the pandemic. It's called Schooling During uh, a Pandemic, the Experience and Outcomes of School Children During the First Round of COVID-19 Lockdowns. So we'll put a, uh, a link in the show notes. Um, and so this was published just in like October 2021, but it was looking at the educational impacts during that first wave. So we're talking March 2020 to like July 2020. So that first round of, of, of closings and lockdowns that happened, um, not just in America, but uh, I think like 11 or 12 different countries. Um, and to say it's, I'm joyful over this is, is it, that's kind of like an overstatement, but I am really interested in the findings. Um, like one of the things that, you know, I have like just really been struggling with is uh, internationally, there was like 10 to 20% of students where school just stopped. Yeah. In March 2020, school just stopped for them. Yeah, and the so that's that that's not just in America. That's in these yeah. other countries too. And these are like developed countries. So we're not talking that the the OECD isn't. You know, we're not talking like Costa Rica. We're right. talking like you know Poland and you know Ireland and Sweden. And mm-hmm. so we're, we're talking European countries t- typically. Um, I don't even know what it would look like in some some other countries where, you know, the infrastructure and isn't as developed. Right. Right. Um, But to think that like for and and the the commonality and this is no one's surprise. Right. That tended that 10 to 20 percent were all the low ESES SES schools. Of course. You know, so it was already the folks who are already marginalized. And so for them. You know that twenty ten to twenty percent of students in those environments to schooling stop for them, yeah. and so that's just one finding of many findings that yeah. that I think you know if you're interested in education, if you're interested in education now during a pandemic, and let's not not kid ourselves that this pandemic is over. I think I think we're 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 in like chapter two of who knows how many or chapter right. three of who knows how many um because i think that as you know in 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 pennsylvania there's you know they're going to lift mask mandates and you know covid infections are still happening yeah. um and so i'm i think the this presents a really interesting window of how this has impacted student learning and schooling and so much more yeah cool yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, cool is maybe the wrong response right. well, to that, but interesting. I, it interesting. is interesting. So it's hard to call it a joy, but it is something I will say as I was like, you know, digging into it, it was, it was, it was learning. And that's always something that I find joyful. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Well, then I, I, I'm going to actually pivot and, and I'll follow yours with another one that I would say is not, um, is not joyful, but I found fascinating. And, and it actually comes from the same colleague of mine who made the comment about, um, what you need to understand about, and this person is an educational psychologist or was trained as an educational psychologist who said this thing about, if you want to understand American schooling, you just have to understand Thorndike won and Dewey lost. Um, Well, she also sent around a statement from the American Psychological Association that came, I don't know when it actually came out, but it's a it, it essentially, the, the title of it is, it's a historical chronology, and it's examining psychology's contribution to the belief in racial hierarchy and the perpetuation of inequality for people of color in the U.S. And it unpacks 
really the role of psychology going back as far as Thorndike and and assessments, things like IQ tests, um, and it and it just really like the APA is really owning this idea of like, look, we promoted the idea that racial difference is biologically based and fixed. We established and participated in scientific models and approaches wow. rooted in scientific racism. Like they are owning the fact that their field is constructed on whiteness and racism. Wow. And, uh, and it is, it's a, it's an extensive document. It starts in the 1850s and goes, you know, through key events all the way up through the present. And, and, you know, obviously part of what they're trying to do here is show that the last, you know, in the last, I don't know, period. And since the, maybe the late nineties into the two thousands, there's been an attempt to reckon with this, uh, as an organization and as a field. Um, but it is really interesting, um, to, to read it. It's a long document and we'll put it in show notes for people who are interested in it. But, um, but I think it, you know, for me, it was really interesting and it was interesting for this to be shared by, by, a um, by a faculty member whose background is educational psychology. Um, now in fairness, she's, um, you know, she's a person of color. She's a Latina woman. Um, and she's, she, one of the things that she's actively engaged in is pushing back against these, um, these ways of framing, obviously. But I think, uh, it, it, I found it to be really, Interesting. And there's a lot in there that I didn't know, though I will say, uh, you may not even remember this, but the way I have always framed the teaching and learning class that I teach is I begin with this contrast between Thorndike and Dewey. And I've always done that. It's in my, it's in my, you know, intro notes and um, going back to when you took the class. So I've always sort of framed it initially as this relationship between thinking about education the way that Dewey did and thinking about the way that Thorndike does. So, um, anyway, so, so we had some sort of heavy things at the end as our joys, but yeah, I mean, I I think that the joy is in the learning, right. And that's, you know, sometimes it's like things that may not make us laugh. And today it's the things that make us, you know, think and, and, and that I I think is where, you know, we come to that with that curiosity and, yeah, which is cool. And yeah, that sense of growth and, 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 uh, and also the idea that like part of what learning means is understanding that some of our old ideas may need to be changed, right? That, that the ideas that we had, like that's, that's, that's a definition of learning is that our ideas get more robust and more complex and more thoughtful and more grounded in evidence and all of those things. Um, and if our ideas don't if we if we calcify them and they stay the same and and then then we're not growing as human beings right. and that's not healthy and and that the joy is in the change and the growth yeah 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 all right well this was a fun episode you know it was a fun episode a little a little harumping here and there and yeah. you know, you guys got a harumph once in a while we're good for that it's yeah. that we're so good. i didn't get yeah. a harumph out of that guy yeah uh, hey well this is uh, the science in between. Catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.